0: You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Yeah, yeah. Reality Check Radio. Welcome along to Counterculture. This is Marie here on Reality Check Radio, and my guest is Carter Laren from the United States, cultural commentator and jack-of-all-trades, someone that I've known for quite a long time. Carter, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I feel like we've got a here. role reversal.
1: I know. I do not miss interviewing people, though, so please embrace it. I'll just sit here and answer questions.
0: Tell us a little bit more about you, how it all started and how your journey with this whole cultural madness started.
1: (laughs) Wow, uh, that's a big ask. I guess at the outset, I should say I was I was always on the fringes of culture. And I don't mean that in a bad way necessarily but if kiwis are familiar with what a libertarian is in america but i was always either libertarian or libertarian leaning i mean for the past 25 plus years and that's it's always given me a perspective that's i think different from most because most people identify with they're either red or blue right they're either republicans or democrats and that's the the lens that they wear and how they view all politics all the time And that just wasn't how I viewed politics ever. And so I can skip over a few decades. Basically, I was a a startup guy, technology person, I was a cryptographer, I built some companies, I sold some companies, I ended up being in venture capital for a little while. And eventually, I'm trying to think of the year, I think it was probably 2015, 16, I don't remember exactly the year, maybe it was 2017. I had seen this woke stuff, really start to come to a head and you know I was the kind of person who always I had been complaining about some of the kind of deep philosophical errors that were prevalent and seemed to be growing but I wasn't spending a lot of time thinking about how that would manifest and really really trying to understand it I just kind of looked it's it's kind of like imagine living in a society in which most people were a religion that's foreign to you you kind of accept that it's there but you don't think about what it's going to become and how it's going to manifest someday. And that's kind of how I viewed a lot of some of the fundamental tenets of kind of radical leftism that have been with us and kind of developing, but mostly just popping up on in protests or or college campuses or whatever.
0: What were some of the things that were kind of piercing the veil that you started to see that you thought? "Hmm."
1: I mean, the biggest thing was it was a difference in how Silicon Valley was treating me personally was the thing that that really hit home. When I first moved to San Francisco in 2000, people were friendly even though I wasn't on the left like most people were. They, you know, they kind of smirked and said, "Oh, you're the crazy libertarian. That's cool. Let's hang out." It didn't matter, right? It, it didn't I wasn't being ostracized because I it didn't have the exact right views. There was a level of tolerance that frankly I appreciated. And by 20 whatever it was, 16 or 17, I don't totally remember, the tables had turned, and I was running a small venture company, and I was accused in of being a Nazi by someone who we had turned down for investment. And the the evidence that was presented was that this person was a I'm trying trying not uh, I'm trying to be vague. They were in one of the oppressed classes, uh, several of the uh, quote oppressed classes. Now, this person's business idea was illegal and stupid. So, the, I mean, we turned this person down, and it wasn't just me, my business partner did as well. We turned them down like we do most people that apply, right? that That's normal for venture companies. But this person went off and, and scoured my Twitter account and had discovered that I had retweeted Mike Cernovich. Now, he wasn't huge at the time. And I don't even remember what I had retweeted about him, but it wasn't anything particularly shocking. But the fact that I had retweeted a, a pariah, <laughs> retweeted someone... Uh, with whom we should all agree is a horrible person and hate, that was the evidence that was presented. It turned into a bigger deal than I would have thought. People actually took it seriously and said, oh, my God, he, I can't believe he retweeted this guy. And again, he said something benign. I don't remember what it was that I retweeted. But at that point, my business partners and I were looking at doing the next round of the fund. And and one of them, who's 2 I'm still good friends with, said, look, if we do this, you have to... Um, you have to stop tweeting you can't mm. express yourself online that was the point at which i just said you know what i don't need this i don't need and and by the way that's one anecdote there were several uh, similar anecdotes of, of where it was becoming very clear that something radical and intolerant had become mainstream on the left and that, in silicon valley generally
0: was that before or after the 2016 election
1: some of what happened was before the 2016 election i think this particular thing might have been after because it was the final straw there were some incidences before for example um one of my best friends and her husband were assaulted at the i don't know if you remember what was called the battle of berkeley milo yiannopoulos went to speak it's Mm -hmm. right yeah and uh i remember i was sitting at my dinner table uh with my family And I got a text one night from my friend and it just said, I don't know. I'm not going to mention her name or her husband's name. I don't know where my husband is. Uh, I was beaten up. I don't know where my husband is. Can't see because I was maced, And I don't know where I am. I'm in Berkeley. Like, please come and get me. That was eye opening that that this kind of because all they had done was show up to listen to someone speak. (laughs) <laughs>
0: we, we know all about that in this country but keep yeah, yeah keep but going.
1: at the time i mean it was it was one of the first events that was really eye opening about just how violent and authoritarian the the left had become and it's not that there wasn't violence and authoritarian elements in the left all the time it's just that they became mainstream they were accepted and normalized and um by the way i don't think the they they found the person who who did a lot of this stuff to her and her husband and who by her husband by the way was beaten unconscious in the middle of a road i don't think anything actually happened to either one there was maybe a slap on the wrist but you know berkeley police didn't care no one cared so there was a lot of events like that and then that last straw was this realization that i don't i don't even want to be in the silicon valley ecosystem right now because it was i was incensed that someone would say you can't tweet <laughs> Right. Like you can't express yourself in this completely unrelated medium because crazy people are going to take anything you say and use it against us from a business perspective. And it was a rational thing to tell me to do. So I don't blame the guy. And like I said, I'm still friends with him. But it it was it was a canary in the coal mine. It was a sign that, oh, this is not a culture I can be a part of right now.
0: Do you think that that was like a start of like a cultural creep, particularly with the censorship? Because I think that was one of the first things that a lot of people started to notice was this need to start to self-censor what would normally yes. be water cooler conversations, or as you said, a simple tweet mm-hmm. in a public forum.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, and I, and I think that's one of the most overlooked but dangerous uh, changes that's happened in the last decade or so is the self-censorship from, I'll just, I don't mean this in a necessarily in a derogatory way, from normies, just Mm. people who aren't really, they don't have an agenda. They're just trying to live their life and take care of their family and have their job and be happy and do, you know, whatever they think is right. Generally realizing that they can't speak openly. They can't even, you can't contemplate often, you know, often the way we solve problems is by. Is by speaking them. I mean, language is not just a communication mechanism. It's a mechanism by which we think. It's how we conceptualize. It's how we work out ideas. And often by speaking and communicating with other people and maybe even arguing with them, that's how we arrive at the truth in a, or or I'll say that's how we arrive at our convictions. That's how we come to decide what it is that we believe in why or what we think about something and why. And if you're not allowed to do that, um, it really neuters your ability to to think, which which destroys your ability to actually fight evil because you don't really, you might not even be able to work out exactly why that's evil or exactly what you think, what you think, because you can't touch the subject. You can, it's toxic. It's radioactive. You can't go there. And so that part of your, I won't it's not physically that part of your brain, but that part of your mental model of the world atrophies and you are left defenseless and you're also enabling really really bad ideas to spread so it's it's one big you know the left really learned how to emotionally bully people and that's how we find ourselves in the position uh where we are now where a lot of things that are implemented at national levels or even at, at large organizations aren't actually what most mainstream people would want but the people achieved the power and the ability to do that primarily through emotional bullying and that gave them the avenue to mm. by which they achieved power
0: and that Rubicon seemed to have been crossed I think in 2016 because there was well, I think in always an element of it there but then when Trump got elected and no one expected him to get elected least of all the Democrats the hysteria that followed that the cultural fallout from that election is still, I think being felt and it's now beginning to resurface now that he's running again. Have you actually dared dip your toe in the water and seen what's going on with the,
1: well, yeah. I mean, I know he's, he's facing charges. I mean, I look, I think, I think you're right. I mean, clearly Trump's election, I will say, by the way, some of us expected him to win, uh, myself being one of <laughs> yeah my uh, husband
0: was the other so yeah exactly yeah.
1: what isn't surprising is that people don't like a president that was elected that happens every year roughly half of the population is pissed off that not every year every 4 years roughly half the population is angry about who got elected that's not uncommon but the hysteria over trump i think it it, it was not only the spark that really it revealed a deep division that was already in America. It, it was used to justify a shift in behavior yeah. from a, what would I would call a more classically liberal stance by both sides, which was, uh, and I'm specifically the, the, the left is the one that shifted here, but this classical liberal stance of, well, we might hate you and think you're horrible, but we'll debate you and we're not going to burn your house down or beat you up. Like that's, you know, we, we still want to have civil, if not, You know, even even though it might be very (laughs) enthusiastic argumentation, it's it's still nonviolent. And I think the hysteria around Trump was used to justify transitioning to not just bullying in the workplace or bullying in friendships or emotional bullying generally and ostracizing people, but also violence like actual violence. And that I think is I don't necessarily think that uh, this is going to sound really dark of me. I don't think that was bad because I think that was there underneath the left's philosophy the entire time. And the sooner that it comes to a head and we deal with it head on and decide what kind of a society we want moving forward, the better. So it was bound to happen. This is leftism has authoritarianism baked in philosophically. It's just really good at you know, it, it it can do this slow roll for decades and it can cover it up and use nice language for a while, but eventually it needs to rear its ugly head. And I think 2016 was the spark that caused the conflagration of violence. And, and you saw finally the, the mask of the left fell off, so to speak. Mm.
0: No, I, I just literally wrote down here, was it the unmasking of the left? And the media, that was also a huge shift in the media. Any pretense for unbiased reporting seem to get thrown out the window in 2015 going into 2016.
1: I don't even know if I would agree with that because I think they still have the pretense. They still believe that they're unbiased. It's hard for me to say that that happened. What I think you see in the media is there was this shift in mainstream acceptance of radical leftism. And uh, when that shift happens, it means that certain assumptions that one makes when one is doing any activity are are now leftist assumptions. And that happened in the media. So they just, it just became, talking points became fact. You know, I just saw, I just saw a video. I think Dave Rubin posted a video on Instagram recently of uh, Rachel Maddow saying how much the, the facts matter and they'll never lie to you. And that's some, and that's why they can't, broadcast some speech trump was making and of course then he interspliced it with her presenting as truth a bunch of what turned out to be false claims about the covid vaccine right and just lying her her face off because that was the accepted truth and so i don't think all these people understand that they're lying i think that they aren't thinkers we're not a society of thinkers anymore we're not a society that wants to sit down and have conversations and nuance and If someone says something that bothers us, we don't ask questions and take a deep breath and say, okay, well, that's really, I find that really bothering, but let's really get to, under you know, let's understand the nuance of what you're saying and let's have this conversation and continue. The only thing that's not popular anymore is nuance. Hmm. Like as long as you, as long as you scream at the top of your lungs, your position, one side or another will like you, but no one wants to have a conversation that's, you know, granted, It can be more boring if you're not an intellect. If you don't like thinking, having a nuanced discussion probably bores you. You just want to see someone scream at YouTube so you can say, rah, 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 and move on and feel good about yourself. But that's that's how Rome
0: falls. And (sighs) that's pretty much what brought you to Unsafe Space, to create Unsafe Space, was to have a place to have at least some of those conversations. So if people were wanting to engage in conversations that they could. So, I mean, you did that as a video format for three years?
1: I think so. It was a few years. Yeah, yeah. probably three years. I don't remember exactly. And there's still but, yeah. some
0: fantastic content there. I mean, you've spoken to some incredible people, including me. Yes,
1: <laughs> but it, One in particular, Kiwi, just absolutely incredible. You should watch all of her videos.
0: There were some really good conversations and you. there weren't that many people in that space having those conversations at that time. I mean, there is loads of parallel content now which is awesome but then not so much I know that when I discovered your channel which I think you'd been going about six months at that point I was feeling very alone in the wilderness down here I remember emailing you because I finally saw an interview that you did and I thought oh gosh I'm not alone on this particularly in the industry that I was working in because you Mm -hmm. that's the one thing that they do is they make you feel isolated they're very good at isolating you away and making you think that you are the most despicable person in the world and nobody is like you and you you've been cleaved from the herd to die in the wilderness to use the quote from the house of cards but actually when you realize that that's not the case they are the exception not the rule it's it is yeah doing that so who are some of the people that during that time that you spoke to that really sat with you
1: well, you know, a lot of the interviews, aside from the obvious uh, interviews with you that were the best, the interviews I think I enjoyed most were, first of all, they were actually the ones earlier on in which we didn't have a, lot, a big audience. And the conversation about woke culture was not all over YouTube already. And so it's it was like the before it was really popular, or was just gaining in popularity. Some of my favorite conversations were James Lindsay early on. Mm-hmm. Um, he was excellent to speak with, and uh, I would say I guess this one was a little bit later, but Stephen Hicks was really interesting to talk to. I like philosophy, and he he's a philosopher. I think he actually I think he actually helps Jordan Peterson with some of his philosophical understandings but he wrote an excellent book called, I think it was explaining postmodernism or postmodernism explained or something. And we had him on. Uh, So I really enjoyed that. We had some more, uh, I would say sensational names. We ended up getting, for example, Mike Cernovich to come on. And it's always fun to have those kind kind of conversations. My personality though, is I personally like the subdued nuanced long, you know, nitty gritty conversations. Um, rather than the drum beating about how dumb the other side is and both of them are necessary i just have my preference Uh, actually another person i really enjoyed speaking with was mark pellegrino (laughs) because he's Uh,
0: who i was going to bring up because that it's his conversations that i really enjoyed he's an actor and he works in that environment but he has some really refreshing ideas and he wasn't afraid I mean you've had several conversations with him he wasn't afraid to bounce an idea around within a conversation right. and take it on board or push it back which i found quite refreshing and as you said it's that nuance that gets missed
1: yeah and that's one of the things I really like about mark <laughs> I actually we've spoken several times since then um he's been on a few times you know I wouldn't say we became friends but we did i did get a respect for him and we became acquaintances that check in with each other once in a while and and uh and that's the thing i like about him is that he was not trying to this is gonna gonna sound ironic he wasn't trying to act Hmm. he wasn't trying to fit into whatever idea of what he should be saying what you think he should be saying he was just you know and he's willing to kind of noodle ideas so he he was really enjoyable Uh, it's been a long time uh since i spoke with him trying to think if there's any others that I really... Some of them were just big names that were cool to have on, but... Um, oh, you know what? Colin Wright, I had on super early. We never had him on again, although I should have. He was really interesting because he was an evolutionary biologist, I think, or maybe just a... Uh, maybe he was a geneticist. And he's Somewhere popping,
0: up, he's popping up quite a lot now. I see you see him but He wasn't into, at
1: the time. No. Yeah. Um, but since then, I think he started working with... What's the Australian magazine that I don't remember? Oh,
0: Spectator. That's why he's, we, he was with is the that Spectator, it? Yeah, Spectator magazine. Okay.
1: He's been doing yeah. a bit of
0: work with Rowan Dean, I think.
1: Yeah, he was fun. I did start it because I wanted, I, I thought, well, it was kind of reactionary in the sense that, oh, I can't tweet anymore. Fine. That's all I'll do is speak online. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm going to start uh, speaking about this stuff online, but it turns out that's not really where my heart is. Uh, we can get into that if you want, but. Still, do have a close friend of mine. Still makes content for Unsafe Space about once a week. Um, he's more focused on politics and the Constitution, and it's great. And I'm glad he does, and and um, you know, I'd like that to continue. And you know, we may have other stuff show up once in a while, but uh, as for my active, constant involvement, that's over.
0: Well, a lot of these things, though, are often, it's an evolution and a journey, so it doesn't need to necessarily be sustaining, but it plants a seed to allow other things to grow. So from that, like I know Adam Coleman, for example, I mean, I met Adam in the unsafe community. He went on to write an incredible book and, you know, he's now working in the publishing space. So it is all part of that sort of greater growing and evolution. And I know I certainly wouldn't have had the confidence to undertake this role if I hadn't reached out all the way back then in 2020, I know when I started following you on YouTube, it was something like 1500 people. So it was, it was way back, it was small. It was way back in the early days, but it is about having those courageous conversations. And we talk about that a lot here on Reality Check Radio, is empowering people to start just retaking those conversations back because yeah. it's amazing how they slowly eep and seep away. And actually you're allowed to have those conversations theoretically in a democracy yeah. and in New Zealand, especially our niceness, you know, we've known to be very nice, egalitarian people. And then after COVID it, and being told what to do, it's like, well, actually you don't necessarily have to always follow a guideline. You know, you can actually push back. You have a voice
1: yeah I think the the left, I'm saying the left. I mean, uh, there's a lot of terms I could use for that. so I, please, when I say the left, understand i I'm sometimes I'm talking about both sides. i'm I'm talking about kind of the the world economic forum and gender people., uh, but you know, that they have relied on that niceness that you're talking about. They rely on the your your virtue, actually. They're using your virtue against you. You want to be a good person. You want to be a nice person. You want to not be rude or create waves or cause a problem because you're trying to be good. You're trying to have a pleasant society. And what they can do is use that against you by convincing you that merely speaking, merely contemplating an idea out loud, uh, is dangerous so that you could upset the apple cart not only for other people, but you might actually ruin your own reputation simply because you had an idea about something uh, and you wanted to discuss it, or you weren't clear on something. Sometimes, I mean, it's to the it's beyond this point, but I mean, you could even be in agreement with some agreement with an, with an idea of theirs, but maybe you want to clarify. And you want to play devil's advocate for a minute and ask a question about it or get a nuance, even that will get you banned because it is a religion. I rarely talk too much about this you know, recently, but I had a conversation with someone the other day about, about this, and she was still kind of in that mindset uh, that you're talking about, where it's like, well, I want to just get along and like I don't need to focus on that stuff anymore. And she was saying to me, I'm glad you're not paying attention to the news anymore because you really shouldn't focus on it. We'll just let them be. And I said, well, you know, I'm not paying attention to the news, but you got to understand you can't be neutral. She was trying to play neutral party. And one thing you have to understand about the the this movement that's taken over, this woke movement, is by their definition, there is no neutral. They do not accept Switzerland as a stance. That is not a stance. You're not allowed. Neutral is the enemy. So... That's what they mean when they say things like you're either anti-racist or you're racist. There's no not racist. Like That's what they mean by that. You're either with them or against them. There is no, I'm not sure. There is no, let me think about it. There is no, I don't care about this issue. I don't want to be a part of it. Silence, silence is silence. Mm. That's right. So I think people who believe that this will go away if they just ignore it uh if they just try and sit on the sidelines not only will it not go away as a whole it probably it might not even go away from you you might still be victim uh because your neutrality is not what you think it is it's not the shield you think it is
0: well and also if one thing history surely should teach us is you can't comply your way out of tyranny
1: no no
0: So let's look at some of the real-world consequences, because you live in the Bay Area, you live in San Francisco, and you have been there since, what, 2000? Yeah. Let's talk about San Francisco's fall from grace in that time, because I think San Francisco (laughs) is a petri dish for this is what happens when these ideologies take hold in a real-world context, is it not?
1: Yeah, I think to a large extent, because major cities in California actually drive culture in a way that you know, maybe not everyone realizes Hollywood is the obvious example, but San Francisco also as a tech hub, and it's been a tech hub for a long time, has a huge, huge impact on culture. So I think in many ways, California, you know, when I I remember when I was, even I think I was in high school, I remember someone saying, well, what happens in California is what will happen here in five years. Like, that's just how it works. I think in many ways, that's still true. So what's happened to San Francisco? First of all, the streets are overrun with homeless people in a way that's exponentially worse than it was 20 years ago. Um, There's literally feces and needles and stuff on the streets that you have to step over. And not just in one tiny spot in the city like it used to be, but like all over the place. Crime is rampant because California does not, I don't know if it's all of California or just the few counties in the Bay Area, I don't recall, but we don't prosecute theft under something like $900. People just steal from stores constantly. In fact, Well, they've um, got a
0: DA in LA that isn't, he doesn't like to prosecute anybody from what I understand.
1: Even just the theft, what has happened. And you can, you know, you don't even have to turn, you don't have to turn to like, I'm not talking about alternate sources and I've got some special, you know, special inside info. Just go watch CNBC, watch watch retail companies talk about their sales and their profitability and watch them talk about the shrinkage problem that's arisen from organized crime, stealing products in places like California, where prosecution isn't happening under, you know, I think it's 900 something dollars. That's become a real problem. And it's it's hurting businesses. Businesses have been closing up and leaving a lot of people. There's been a mass exodus of California for many businesses. Uh, Tesla's probably one of the uh, most famous examples of the headquarters moving out of the state and we also have uh an increase in violent personal crime so there's been a lot of assaults and muggings and shootings and homicides we're not chicago yet but you know we're on our way
0: i actually wonder whether you may even be worse than chicago like i know i was there in january 2020 Mm and february of 2020 actually having been there in september the previous year and in that what was that barely six months five months Mm -hmm. It was, I I was told to watch out in September, but as you said, what I did see in that February was defecation on the streets, was the needles, was the homeless problem, Mm -hmm. was people with obvious drug and mental issues out and about. One of the things that I just kept an eye on is that there's an area of San Francisco. So if any listeners have been to San Francisco, this is probably one area that you'll know. It's the bottom, uh, the main CBD where you catch the cable car, to go up and over the hill so it's a huge
1: tourist sort of hub hey, powell street area by yeah. market and powell
0: Market and powell that's exactly it and right on that corner there so across the road from that it was a westfield shopping center now i think westfield's an australian company they announced it was it last week or a few weeks ago that they are pulling out. Nordstrom is gone. Saks off Fifth Avenue. Well, that was up on Union Square. That's gone. Whole Foods is gone. and um, Old Navy is gone. Anthropology is gone. Office Depot is gone. Uh, H&M is gone. Abercrombie and Fitch is gone. They're just, Walgreens, yeah. I know Walgreens were- It's closer. not worth
1: being there. No. I mean, it's just, it's it really is a dystopia. And if, if you look at discussions, so I sometimes do pay attention to what, what are normal people saying? about what's going on what's the sentiment in the bay area and there is this kind of frustrating <laughs> this frustrating conundrum that people are finding themselves in they are all complaining about this i can't live here anymore this is horrible i love the bay area it used to be great now it's horrible blah 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 my catalytic converter is getting stolen my neighbor was mugged they stole the, this guy's car yesterday blah 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 like all that kind of stuff going on and yet You know, there's a few people who maybe whine about DAs, but no one wants to change. No no one has said, hey, do you think maybe leftism doesn't work? Do you think maybe we should, you know, try something else? No, no one wants to try it. They want to try. And this has been true for anyone paying attention to politics. You can see this pattern throughout uh, history. This is true of any kind of big government mentality. It's when something fails, the problem is do more of the something. Right. The answer, the the solution to the problem is like, oh. Yeah, right. Well, we hey, the war on uh, the war on poverty is not working. Let's do let's fund it more, right? The war on drugs isn't working, so let's buy, you know, more. Let's militarize our police more. Let's do more on the war on drugs. Let's do, so that mentality is it's a broken mentality and it's it's a loser mentality, right? This is how you create disasters: mm-hmm. is you you try something, it doesn't work, and what you should do when something doesn't work is pull the plug and try something else. If that's if you just from a pragmatic standpoint, it's not working. Figure out why. Pull the plug. Figure out why. Try something else. Instead, the mentality is well, it's not working because it's not people don't care enough. It's not funded enough. We haven't done enough. And you know, if you look at Gavin Newsom and the general left's solutions to almost all the problems that we're talking about, it's just oh well, we need to do more. We need to do more of the same. More in the same direction will magically remove the feces from the streets. Like, that's that's their solution.
0: Trevor Laudan, who I spoke to a couple of weeks ago, I asked him about the Democratic primary coming up. There's this tit-for-tat mm. going on between using the law to try and take out um, the candidates, and he has a theory that they won't allow Biden to run. They'll find something that will give him potentially a... Either they'll force him out of the running or it'll give him a dignified exit from mm. from that, and he thinks that they're going to parachute in Gavin Newsom.
1: Well, that wouldn't be surprising. I don't know. I mean, I don't get involved in in, in the minutiae of politics too much, but I, I will say that could be true. I mean, I could, Gavin certainly has – that's obvious that he has designs on running. Like, clearly he wants to run. He spends more time out-of-state campaigning than he does in-state, it seems like. But another solution to Biden is – you know, get him reelected and have the person you want to be president as vice president. And you know, he's not likely to last. You could probably get him reelected and then convince him to retire. You know, he seems pretty impressionable and managed. So I think if you're the DNC machine, you can use Biden in whatever way you want. And I'm not sure throwing that asset away in the election is the right strategy. But maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not their strategist, and and there are people who know better than I do on that. But you know, largely, Marie. Quote: Both sides will hate me for this, but I, I mean this sincerely. Politics is a sideshow. You're being distracted. One of the reasons that I generally don't vote, which people can yell at me all they want for, uh, we can have philosophical discussions about that. I generally don't vote. One of the only times I voted for president was for Trump in his first term. People used to say to me. How can you possibly want Trump? He, especially because I was in the Bay Area, how can you possibly want Trump? He's this and he's that and he's horrible and he's crass and blah, blah, blah. And you you grab him by the right, all that kind of stuff. And they, their argument, and I said, well, you know, I would sometimes say, well, his policies actually aren't really different than anyone else. I mean, they're kind of like Bill Clinton's policies. So let's not get freaked out about the guy's policies. And usually they would agree to that, but they would say, yes, but. He corrupts the institution of the presidency. He's, it's, he's a stain on the honor of the presidency. And that's when I would say to them, yes, that's why I voted for him. Stop viewing the president as something honorable. Washington is full of a bunch of narcissistic, evil, power-hungry trolls. Stop thinking that they should be honored. Stop it. I see people conflate worship of politicians and Washington and the offices and the institutions. I see them conflate that with patriotism or with love of uh, America's founding. And those are two different things. I mean, America, when it was founded, was by far, in my opinion, the most moral state that has existed ever. It wasn't perfect lots of problems. You can throw slavery at me. Sure. Slavery was part of human history throughout all of human history by everyone everywhere. So sure. I understand that massive problems, but the direction to move, the, the direction that, that the US founders moved in was was uh, a, a really a paradigm shift. It was individuals have rights the government doesn't own you. They enshrined these rights. They actually, the Bill of Rights. There was a debate about the Bill of Rights as to whether it should be written down because obviously you would have those rights, and if we just enumerate them, then it, people will think those are the only ones. Uh, but there's many more. It was a, it's a complete shift from being subjects of a king to individuals with rights who are self-governing, and that's noble. Granted, like I said, lots of, lots of warts. Uh, there, lots of things that need to be fixed, lots of inconsistencies. Frederick Douglass talked about when, when he criticized slavery, one of his criticisms was really along the lines of you're being hypocritical. The Constitution is great. It says these things, but you're not living up to them. And he was correct about that, right? So all that stuff is great. All that stuff does not equal the office of the President of the United States and Senators and Congressmen. Like, currently we are we are just an authoritarian state with a different justification. We're not as bad as China. I'm not going to say that we're as bad as China, but one thing China has going for it is they're not pretending to be Something anything other than an authoritarian mm. state. We pretend that we're this free country, that we we have individual rights and that freedom matters. But, you know what? It doesn't. That's not what we are. We're an authoritarian country and we're run by people who believe that we are Farm animals to be taxed. It's a tax farm. China runs a tax farm. Washington runs a tax farm. Washington uses different strategies. Granted had a better origin. We'll agree. Uh, and they're not as bad as China. I'm not saying that. but it's like you see all this you see all this ho- like hoopla about TikTok. Oh no, The Chinese government might have access to our data. You know, as an American citizen, I'll say, I don't care. I don't want the NSA to have access to my data. I don't care if China has access to my data. They have no power over me. I don't live in China. They can't affect my life in any meaningful way. Other than I guess they could advertise things to me if they knew my, you know, (laughs) my activity on my phone. I don't care. You know who can screw with me a lot? Washington. You know, and, you know, people like Edward Snowden come along and they reveal the authoritarian nature of the surveillance state. And, you know, they're a blip in the news. People forget about him. And half the people still think he should be, you know, hanged for treason Mm -hmm. Uh, when people get excited about so and so president is going to be in charge. I mean, look, Trump was in charge for four years. It doesn't matter what his faults were. It doesn't matter what he did or didn't do or how whether how much you hate him or how much you love him. It doesn't matter. You got to admit he didn't get much done that he claimed he was going to get done. And he didn't get it done because he couldn't. Because the president's not in charge. I mean, he can make speeches and he can he can do some things and he did some things. But, you know, there's an entire st- state apparatus that it, that is this. It's got massive inertia to turn it around. Can't be done in a single election. It's something that if you want your country to change, you need to look at the culture and you need to change the culture because the culture is what will eventually steer the ship and it might not even happen in your lifetime that's the only way to actually steer the ship and we have been on the same direction culturally for my entire life we've been it's in a slow slide away from individualism and freedom towards a more socialist type Uh, Government And it will continue that way, not because we're voting for the wrong people or the wrong people are in charge, but because that's what we allow. That's what we want culturally. That's that's the direction of our cultural movement. And it's a bad direction. I don't like it. But if you're going to get worked up about something, get worked up about culture, raise kids (laughs) with that, understand the problem that are going to introduce a counter movement culturally just just by their being. And stop worrying whether, you know, Trump or DeSantis or Biden or even Gavin Newsom holds the White House. Mm. Yeah, one moves faster to the wrong direction than the other one often. But you know what? Historically, the difference isn't that big. Mm. I mean, and and both sides hate when I say that, but it's just not factually. It's just there isn't a big difference.
0: That's what I love about you. Such a ray of
1: sunshine. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I can be more positive if you want. But no. that's that's the negative half i guess. No, that is but it also too
0: in this country we've had a huge wake up call here i mean we're about to go to the polls on the 14th of october new zealand is i mean we're so easy oz we've always been that way you know and we've been a nation of what they call number eight wire is which is a fencing wire and it's a term that they use around kiwis that they will figure stuff out because we don't necessarily have access to things here. And and so you've got to MacGyver things to how you to need to make them happen. And we're a small country and we're nimble and we're all, we've been known for, to be all of those things. Those days are now over. But I think we can get them back. A lot of New Zealanders have woken up to that, I think, because of the rapidity of what's happened in the last five years. So unlike the cultural creep that has been slowly going on in the United States and through the universities and, and, you know, sort of seeping in from the edges from California and New York and the like and sort of moving its way inwards. New Zealand draws a lot of its cultural inferences from either the United States or the United Kingdom. We always have. And then we Mm -hmm. sort of take that and mash it up and kiwify it and we make it our own. COVID turned all of that on its head and unmasked for a lot of New Zealanders, the government that we had, the New Zealand Labour Party, which has always been a class-based socialist working party, to no longer be that party. So even Labour supporters suddenly realised that, hold on, this is not the party we recognise anymore. And it's because it isn't. It's full of radicals ne- and activists. It actually
1: never was. Uh, well,
0: I know, but that's, that's a conversation for another time, I think. I know. I'm
1: doing, yeah, yeah.
0: There is this sort of reawakening going on at the moment. And we are in an MMP system, so we don't have the two-party system. We've always had
1: like, these other parties. We have had the coalitions. And- and
0: mm-hmm. the, exactly. And, and MMP, I, uh, it's been around now for about, it must be 30 years. I think it was they were saying it was the 30th anniversary of MMP. I know the first two elections I voted for were first past the post, but we're not, we've been an MMP ever since. This current cycle is the first time that we've had a government that's not required a coalition partner to temper it. Because of that, and because we don't have a constitution, we're one of only three countries that don't, us, Israel, and the United Kingdom, we do have a Bill of Rights, but it's not enshrined. Mm. COVID happens and they were literally like a reckless runaway freight train. And I know that, you know, you and I spoke about this way back in what, March 2020, wasn't it? Initially. And it's only just gotten worse from there. And it is interesting to see doing this job and interacting with our listeners and the people that I've spoken to starting to see those what i call the pendulum people the people that sit in the middle that the go-alongs to get alongs who mm-hmm. are busy you know they've got families as you said families lives jobs businesses yep. all of a sudden, understandably yeah. yeah exactly and they are now starting to think mm, actually we need to be a little bit more aware in order to make things and have things change from that perspective, we've got our elections coming up. I agree with you. I don't think anything will massively change. I did a monologue last week where I talked about the scorpion and the frog, and I just said to people, "Look, what we need to realise in this election is all politicians are scorpions. We just yes, need to you see all get which stung. We're, exactly we're all going to get stung. It's just the nature yeah. of the beast. It's in their nature. They can't help it. It's about, I think, empowering people to start." making changes with the self and what can you do in your family and maybe gravitate that out so you've made some radical changes in the last little bit and we were talking about it before we came live what are some of the things that you have seen that you've done that has actually really helped improve where you're at and hopefully will ripple out from there
1: can I back up for just a moment, though? And, and I want to throw out an analogy that I, I just thought of, because you and I were talking about Le Mans before. And my daughter and I watched the 24-hour of Le Mans recently. And Bomber, uh, second, I think, she yeah. said he was a Kiwi. We are fighting... Le, Le Mans, is a, it's an endurance race. It's not a drag race. It's not even a Formula One Grand Prix. It's an, it's an endurance race. It's very tempting to get behind... Think, of, think about competing in Le Mans. It's very tempting to get behind a car and say, we have to overtake this next car. In fact, I think it might've actually been one of the Cadillacs with Bomber in it that was, there was a Porsche trying to take him over and and he was really aggressive at one point in the race. He ended up crashing because he was too aggressive trying to get past this guy. It's easy to get excited about, you know, when you're watching a race or thinking about being in a race, it's very, it's, it's easy to get excited about stepping on the gas and going faster. And getting around the next guy, and because it's there's a there's a palpable achievement right there, right in front of you. I just gained another spot. It's it's you you get immediate feedback and you feel really good. But the thing about winning Le mom is you got to finish. Having a car that doesn't break down and having a driver who doesn't take unnecessary risks to break your car—that's at least half, if not more than half, the battle. It's finishing the race. Often. The short term focus can be what undermines the long term success. And so I'm not saying don't at all focus on politics. Politics is that short term. You want to get by the guy. You want to get ahead a little bit in the race, and that's good, but it's a long race. And what you need is a car that's going to make it to the end when other people's cars break down. And to do that, you need to do the cultural maintenance. You need to make sure that. Part of your strategy, a big part of your strategy is building a culture that is immune to whatever it is that the political and legal system is doing. One way to think about this is we've got this Bill of Rights. Some of them are very clear. I'll pick on a very controversial one, which is the Second Amendment. Like it or not, you can delude yourself into thinking it means something other than what it means, but it's pretty clear that it means that you have a right to carry personal firearms. It's it's very clear. You might not like it. You might say it's antiquated and we shouldn't do it, but it's very clear what it means. The truth is, what it means is irrelevant if you have an entire population that interprets it however they want. I used to say on the show, they'll let you have the constitution if they can have the dictionary, right? <laughs> the How you define those words, how you interpret that is all that matters because that's what's going to get implemented. That's what's going to affect real people's lives. And so if you have a country, it doesn't matter. It, the Second Amendment is kind of irrelevant if you have a country full of people who think it means that states have the right to have militias. right? Um, and if in no Second Amendment, if you didn't have a Second Amendment, that wouldn't matter in a country full of people who thought, well, I have a natural right to carry a firearm and you can't stop me if that's the culture. The culture is what controls ultimately. That's why I'm saying not to ignore it. Not because politics don't matter at all. There are those short-term wins can matter and they do have an effect. But um they're the they're the sugar, they're the candy, they're the easy things to put. You get immediate feedback. Ooh, that was good. It's a lot more important to do the long-term work of how should I raise my children? Um, right? Like, oh, what are some philosophical convictions that I should really make sure that I stick to and I'm not hypocritical about and really resonate with other people in my life so they can see and how how can I set an example in my personal life. So I know that was a sidebar to your question but I I wanted to go there because I want I wanted to make it clear what I meant by focusing on culture and not politics.
0: Absolutely. And it is this is a marathon not a sprint. So exactly. it is yeah and we exactly. can only and I mean we're both parents and as you said, will we see this shift back or away again in our lifetime? Possibly not. I actually really do believe our our children's generation is the one that potentially pull us out of all of this. I'm seeing real hope when I spend time with these kids, especially the young men. It's having them rediscover their masculinity and that actually it's okay to be a young man in this world, empowering them to do that. So what have you been doing to empower yourself lately?
1: Sure. I'll say people might might wonder well, why did you stop doing <laughs> I'm clearly very passionate about a lot of the stuff and, and I am. A few things happened. One is, you know, we were talking earlier about the kind of conversations we had early on on Unsafe Space. I really enjoyed them, but what happened as the culture war became more at the forefront of people's consciousness as more and more people were we're doing it. More and more people talking about it. I learned what succeeded well on YouTube and I didn't want to do it. Is is a good way to summarize. A great way to do YouTube is stick someone's famous name in the title. Maybe put a picture of them that looks outrageous. Say something outrageous in your title. So-and-so is a blah, 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 whatever, it doesn't matter. Say something outrageous. Then be outraged, even if it's kind of unhinged and not really warranted. You don't even really have to talk about that subject for too much. You probably shouldn't make your video too long. People can go get a little dopamine hit about, I'm right, that guy is a jerk. And they feel like you're super intelligent. You don't have to do any thinking. Um, You basically have to be good at parroting other people's ideas or just ideas that are in the in the meme-osphere that you see around that are popular that works pretty well. Of course, there are exceptions. There are people like Jordan Peterson who are, can rivet an audience for two hours of nuanced, interesting stuff, but those, they are the exception rather than the rule. Yeah. And in general, those nuanced, when early on, we were the only people having those discussions. So anyone interested was, was on the channel talking to us. Eventually, we weren't the only people having them and we were having them in kind of a boring way. Right. It was like, oh, well, I'm really curious about hey, let's let's dive into the philosophy behind this and let's talk about uh, Gloria Hull and like let's let's mm. oh let's read. I know uh let's read mapping the margins. Like no one wants to do that, right? And economics too. You touched economics. I love
0: the economic conversations,
1: but sure. not all listeners did, you know. No, they... Not everyone does, right? No, yeah, yeah. I we had a good actually Peter Schiff is another one we had a short but interesting conversation uh about economics with. So yeah, so all that stuff the stuff that i really enjoyed was not what was going to make it work on youtube and i didn't need to be the one yelling about how bad things were because everyone was yelling about how bad things were at this point it didn't you know my natural inclination i don't enjoy speaking extemporaneously i don't have high charisma i don't care that's not ever been my personality it's never been part of my career to be the the tap dancer with the attention on him usually at companies I'm in the background and someone else's is, is the person, you know, the face. It's not in my personality. I don't particularly enjoy it. There were some other things that led to some shifts at the company, which I don't want to get into. But I eventually decided, well, we're going to stop doing videos and I'll start writing. So we released some newsletters for a little while. Even fewer people read than than <laughs> I much prefer reading. Also, I like writing and reading. I'd rather write and read. Few people want to read. That was never going to be monetarily successful. And something happened early this year, right around the time you guys were having your cyclone. <laughs> we live in Northern California, uh, as uh, we talked about, and we had a neighbor's tree took our power line out during a storm. And it, it actually yanked out, it did damage to the house, actually, it, it yanked stuff out of the house. It, it was a big deal. And so for three weeks, we had no power at all, and that which meant no internet. You know, and we have a at the time, we I mean, we we have a child now who's about eighteen months. But, you know, she was a little bit over a year, maybe fourteen months, whatever it was at the time. <laughs> Plus, we had a fourteen year old or thirteen year old at the time. It's kind of tough to deal with a family with no power. and we didn't really want to live in a hotel because we are in a high crime area. So abandoning the house meant, well, we don't can't even have an alarm because we have no power. And if we abandon the house, who knows what's going to be left when we come back? So we kind of had to hunker down and build fires in the fireplace, live off the grid, so to speak. I, as a result, I didn't listen to the news for three weeks. I didn't pay attention to the news. I just went dark. Marie, my disposition improved exponentially. I was such a better father. I was a better husband. I was happier. I felt better about myself. I felt better about the world. I realized that this constant focus on how Rome is falling. And I don't, by the way, I still think it's falling. I haven't like turned into Pollyanna thinking like, oh yeah, it's going to be great. I get it. It's falling apart. But the constant focus really took its toll on me. And I realized one thing I had been doing, which I shouldn't have done, it was a mistake, was I was playing the martyr. I was sacrificing my own happiness and my family's happiness to try and save this abstract concept of Western civilization. I'm not criticizing anyone who wants to do that. That's cool. You make your own choices. It was taking its toll on my family and it was taking its toll on me. And the truth is, I was never single-handedly doing it, right? I'm just, I'm one cog in a machine of people who are trying to do whatever they can to make a difference. So I don't have to be constantly on the playing field. It's okay. To go on the sidelines and do um, something else, and so I've really I'm doing uh, I'm the CTO at a, and a startup doing AI stuff right now, and I'm um, it's in my wheelhouse and I love it. You know, the truth is, if we step back here, here I'll give you some positive news because I know it sounds like I'm I'm very doom and gloom. The preface here is I do think we're losing Western civilization. I do think we will lose Western civilization. I think America will lose. We will lose. Freedom will be dead for some period in America. It will happen because no one knows how to defend it anymore, even though so-called defenders of it don't know what they're talking about. They don't understand the philosophy. We're, we're on a train to hell. That said, this is still the, probably the best point ever in all of human history to be alive. For most of human history, we had some warlord or king who literally owned us and could take our stuff or make us slaves or would come and slaughter us or take our kids away from us. We were dying of... Diphtheria or whatever. Like (laughs) most of our human history has been immense amount of pain and suffering and unhappiness and lack of freedom compared to where we are today. And yeah, a lot's wrong with where we are today. I think in the long run, maybe a couple generations, things might turn around. Like I'm, I'm feeling pretty optimistic about our children as well, and maybe they can be the start of some kind of turnaround or. You know, I'm not I'm not opposed to some sort of secession or refounding of something somewhere that understands uh, individualism a little bit better. You know, the idea that it has it's always going to persist this way. Every empire falls. And this is an empire that doesn't even know why it's good, why it was ever Mm. good. It's an empire that's forgotten what made it great in the first place. And it's unlikely that that empire is going to last forever. But that's okay. I'm not wed to the particular borders and the political structure it's the progress towards individualism and freedom that matters that progress over history i think will continue because it's superior <laughs> like if for no other reason it's moral but it's also superior cultures do better when people are free i think it will work but it doesn't mean it's going to work in 10 years it might be it might be centuries i don't know i'm sure the human race will get you know get to a point of of increased freedom But we are in a freedom ice age right now you're entering the freedom ice age okay i don't need to make my life miserable and my family miserable trying to heat up the glacier that's encroaching it's okay we can have a great life we can save our ideas by writing them down and communicating them when we have time Uh, We can raise generations of children who have their heads screwed on straight, who aren't born with cluster B personality disorders and creating havoc. Yeah, be a good parent, raise the next generation, help them to raise the generation after that. Be a good grandparent. Will the world be better when you and I die? Probably not. Probably not from a freedom and political perspective. But you know what? So what? Who in history could say that it was much better when they died? it's, that's a rare thing where you have some sort of movement towards freedom in someone's lifetime. It's rare. We don't need to be depressed about it. This is just, you look, humans are messy. We make a lot of errors. We do a lot of evil, bad things to each other all the time. That's been our storted history. I, I have confidence that humans will work it out. But, you know, it doesn't mean I have confidence we're going to get back to minimalist government, maximal freedom America in the next 50 years. I think that's a little bit
0: optimistic Ridiculous. yeah the most important thing i think is is continue having conversations free speech is a really hot topic down here at the moment and that's another whole conversation for another time but sure about improving anything is you can improve things you'd never limit speech if you disagree with something fix it with more speech you know and just keep talking keep having those courageous conversations Carter, this has been wonderful it's been so good to catch up with you i've been talking to Carter Laren unsafe space is still up with some great content so let people know where they can still find that content that's still live if they want to sort of dive back into the archives as it were
1: there is a youtube channel called unsafe space which i think is easy to find but uh the new stuff is mostly on rumble because we have been we often get banned from youtube for various things so and then there's unsafespace.com has some written archives and some stuff like that so you can find things there and uh like you said it doesn't have to continue forever. Maybe it will be revived at some point. It is kind of still puttering along. And and Keith is doing excellent content, like I said, almost on a weekly basis about really more civics. He runs a show called hmm. Rebel Civics, and that's still active and doing its thing. So check it out.
0: Thank you so much. I've been talking to Carter Laren from Unsafe Space. Don't disappear here on Reality Check Radio. We've still got plenty of more great stuff, including the Woke Word of the Week and Media Matters with Marty Gibson. You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Yeah, yeah. Reality Check Radio.